0: Lord Jesus, we come with just uh, hearts that are humbled as we come to the scriptures. Lord, those of us that need our hearts humbled by you, would you do a work of your spirit there, Lord? We wanna bow the knee to the authority of your word. And as we look at this very relevant uh, subject matter uh, concerning Christian liberties and freedoms that we have, Lord, I pray that you would just, um, Lord, you'd, you'd show us just... Uh, where we've been sinful, Lord, where we've been selfish, uh, Lord, where we've been robbing you of glory. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would change our hearts, bring conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, bring freedom where freedom is needed. And uh, we just invite you into this place to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Uh, from chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians through chapter 10, Paul has been on the subject of Christian liberties. And Chad took on a bulk of this teaching for a couple of weeks when he filled in for me while I was gone. And, uh, and, and we've looked at how the Corinthian church was, and they were carnal and, and fleshly and sinful in so many areas uh, that even the use of their freedoms in Christ uh, had encroached upon sinfulness and, uh, and idolatry. And uh, Paul addressed that even last week and how some of their freedoms going into uh, of partaking in meat that once was offered to idols, they'd actually, actually gone back into the temple for the idols and been partaking in a, in a way that was uniting them with demons. And so that was, a, that was a no-go, and Paul confronted them on that earlier on in chapter 10. Uh, when it comes to Christian liberties, you know, there are... Uh, what are called gray areas that the scripture doesn't speak much on, Uh, things that we're not forbidden to do, nor are we commanded to do. And so there's been the question, man, am I able to uh, be a part of this? You know, On on one end of the spectrum, we've got the black areas, which would be universal sins, things that we're commanded not to do, places we're commanded not to go, things that we're not to be a part of. Some of those things might be um, idolatry, Uh, sexual immorality, sex of any kind out of marriage, homosexuality, drunkenness, um, you know, the the list goes on and on and on. And then over on this side, we'd have the white areas, the things that we're actually commanded to do, you know, that we're to be part of a community of believers and not forsake the assembling together of the saints. We're to exhort one another. We're to live in purity and in holiness. We're to... uh, uh, live as Jesus lived, you know, things that we're called to do uh, in the scriptures. But in between, we've got these gray areas, these things that uh, perhaps cause the conscience to be um, uh, weighed down and and cause to think we've offended God for some reason. Uh, some questions that I just want to throw out there for you guys, uh, these are just um, things that came to mind and, and things that I read. Um, would I be able to have the freedom to work for a company that produces alcoholic beverages? Or could I be a bartender at a, at a uh, restaurant or at a, at a pub? Could I work for a company that sells idols and charms from overseas? I've actually been asked that as there's the uh, China import up on the hill and some of those employees used to go to our church. Man, should I quit my job or you know, where would I work? Can I sell these things? Um, Could I be a regular patron of the Pine Theater? Uh, Can I frequent the Horseshoe Tavern? Uh, Can I wear this or that swimsuit, you know, the the two-piecer? Or, you know, guys, if you go to Brazil, (laughs) not that modest, okay? Uh, Can I purchase this music library? Uh, Can I consume this beverage or smoke this cigarette or this stogie? Can I decorate my home for Halloween or for trick-or-treat? All of these are debatable issues, gray areas. And it's just, you know, there's so many more that we could talk about today. But they all, it's going to be consolidated today. These debatable issues that the New Testament gives us principles on to apply to our life so that we could understand the true nature of Christian freedom. Now, Paul is on the side of freedom. But not just any freedom, biblical freedom. You might remember 4th of July weekend in the park over at Pioneer Park. We looked at Galatians 5.1 where Paul tells us to stand fast in the liberty of which Christ has made us free. He's all about freedom but true freedom. So let's get into the text today of verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Real quickly, within our freedoms, we have the tendency to have a pendulum swinging. And as the pendulum swings on this side, we might have the people that are all about Christian freedoms. Uh, in fact, they take their freedoms so far that they borderline into sinful behavior with those freedoms on the other side of things we have people that might be called legalists or rule makers and and they take uh, things that are not in the scriptures and they make rules for us to abide for or rules for themselves to abide for and so ask yourself today as we're looking at the scripture okay does my pendulum swing more on the man i'm like stiff and strict and there's rules and I've made these lists and my church had these lists and my grandpa had these lists and it's always passed down or maybe on the other under thing man I got no rules I got no boundaries I don't care what people think I just do whatever's, man it's not forbidden in the bible all right and, and perhaps you've gone over to that extreme and so the the statement is said here in verse 23 all things are lawful for me it says it twice all right uh, now, this is a familiar statement from Clearback in chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, it's believed that Paul kind of introduced this statement to the Corinthian church. Hey, all things are lawful for us. And it's true. Uh, what a wonderful thing that we have this freedom in Christ and we can stand firm in it. But... The Corinthians, who had a carnal, sinful bent to everything that they did, took this statement and just blew it way out of proportions. And so Paul's going to tell us, hey, yeah, all things are permissible, but tiny print, some restrictions apply, okay? All right, tiny print, hey, now hold on, not everything is helpful. And yeah, all things are permissible, all things are, are possible for us to do, but not everything edifies. Okay? I want to give you guys today eight guidelines for Christian freedom that we're going to find actually in this text that we'll read today. Okay? Eight guidelines. Number 1 and number 2 are actually found here in verse 23. First of all, is this liberty as I partake of it is it helpful? So you might just write down is it helpful? When I go here, when I drink this, when I do that, when I say this, when I view this or read this or listen, into, listen to her or him, is it helpful? Is it profitable and advantageous? All right? Is it sensible? And the other thing we see is does it edify? Does it build up? Now you might say, I have the right to do it all. That's true. You have the right to do it all, but is it helpful and does it build up? Does it build up? The New Living Translation paraphrase says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 23, all things are lawful for me, But I will not be brought under the power of anything. So underneath that, does it edify? Does it build up? Is it helpful? You might even put a sub question. Does it work out addiction or habit in my life? All right. Am I brought under the power of this liberty? Now there's the story that's told of an old Irish man named Mr. Nicholson, who would always have a question and answer time out in the city square. He was known to be a godly man. And one day, a man stood up and said, Mr. Nicholson, can a Christian smoke? And he replied, yes, you can, you dirty pig. Now, I'm not preaching a sermon on whether you can or cannot smoke, all right? But any of these liberties, it could be meat offered to idols that you're eating or all the way down to smoking a cigarette. You guys don't gotta leave because of the smoking comment. Seriously, Jeez. all right, okay, go Tammy. (laughs) Lady in red, I guess, okay all right? But the question is, does what I'm doing, is it helpful, all right? Maybe healthful, I don't know. Is it helpful, and does it build up, all right? Now, we've been learning in the school of ministry that we want to look at the grammar of the scripture as we study it, and the grammar of this verse is that it's in the third person, all right? So, It's not so much, does it help me out and does it build me up and edify me? But actually, what about he and she and they? What about those people? As they hear of you partaking or going to this place or drinking that, are they built up? Are they helped? All right, what is the effect of my actions upon somebody else? Whether it's my music, my ethical practices, the time that I spent in this place or that place, will what I'm doing cause the people around me to advance spiritually? So the question that we should never ask concerning our liberty is, am I allowed to do this? That's the wrong question, okay? The question is, since I'm allowed, will it cause spiritual advance, all right? True, yes, for me. But the context here is the people around me. Will they advance in their relationship with Christ? Will what I'm about to do, since it's not denied to me in the Bible, cause me to grow in Christ? Cause my neighbor to hunger after God and my children to want to go on with Christ? Things are to edify the people around us. Even in 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts that we've been given, what is the purpose of them? for the edification of the church. Romans 14:19 tells us that we are to pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And then if you go over a chapter in Romans 15:2, it says let us please let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. So a goal with our Christian freedoms that we have, these gray areas, are to be building up our neighbor, building up our brothers. Now, if you've got a question about an action, you ask, does the Bible forbid it? Is it a black area or a universal sin? But if the issue is unaddressed, we need to take this principle of helping and edifying very seriously. Now, we don't go to this end and make rules about it that the scripture does not create. As Alistair Begg says, rules and legalism do not produce a holy life. They only produce bondage to rules and that of men and women. It is only the love of Jesus Christ that fills a heart and constrains a mind that produces this perfect kind of freedom. The freedom that we have in Jesus doesn't ask, am I allowed to listen to this or that or attend this place? But can it be profitable and can it be edifying? Now, if you could have a a heading here under all of our questions, we move on in the text and ask the question, hey, isn't my business just my business? All right? And what I do on my own time, it just affects me? Nope. (laughs) No, that's not true, all right? You are not your own anymore. Your life is now your wife's. Your life is your brother and sister in Christ. Your life is your kid's and your church's life. It's your church's business now. As the New Testament says, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, which leads us to verse 24. And I put a nice, pretty, shiny star in my text here because this is a key verse in the passage, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. It's here that we have a principle of Christian living, or a PCL, as I like to call it. This principle of Christian living, given in the form of a command, it is imperative that nobody is selfish, that nobody is seeking his own well-being. And so we have a sin given to us in the text. This sin would be seeking one's own selfishness. Selfishness. It's sinful. Now, the righteous, contrary to that, would be the other individual's well being. All right. So, so far we've had two questions that we ask ourselves guidelines concerning Christian liberties. Number one, is it helpful? Number two, is it edifying? And here we have the third. Does it promote selfishness or another's well-being? We're not to forget the governing concept of our freedoms, and that is L-O-V-E, love. That is the governing concept. Selflessness, all right? Servitude. As Charles Hodge said, self, in other words, is not to be the object of our actions, Yet, how often is it actually the very thing that drives us and motivates us and moves us? I wonder if any of your minds have gone to Philippians chapter 2 yet. I hope it does. I hope you own Philippians 2. We go over it all the time. Great memory verse, okay, for the family, for the team. In Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That is essentially the desire to see yourself succeed, all right, that's not why we should be doing anything. That's selfishness. But rather, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, the Greeks hated this phrase because they were all about high-mindedness, lofty thinking. All right, And so when they heard from Paul that you're to have a lowly mind, it meant to be humble-minded, kind of a duh-duh-duh-duh. Right? He says, hey, you've got to be humble-minded. All right, you've got to bow down and lift the other people up, esteeming others as better than himself. Verse 4 here in Philippians 2 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So is your freedom, your liberty, self centered or others centered? Have you ever given up something for a brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever abstained or or not partaken or not gone there out of sensitivity to the other people around you? Writing about Philippians chapter two here, John Calvin says, this conjunction or instruction to us is very necessary for our own nature is so corrupt that each of us looks out for his own interests to the neglect of those of his brother's. Do we neglect those around us? Romans 12, 10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another. What does that look like? Kindly affectionate to one another? With brotherly love? Man, in this church, sorry, I'm a hugger. Not that you have to be, but you're gonna get a hug from me, all right? All right? We've, you know, we've read the scriptures of greeting one another with a holy kiss, and man, some of us were so brotherly affectionate to one another, man, you'll see it around you. You'll see the, bearded kiss, you know, on the face, just brother, you know, and then there's kind of this awkward walk away. Okay. But we love each other. All right. And there's the hugs this morning. A couple of us met at brother's diner and and just the waitresses there. We're getting to pray with them and we're getting to share with them and inviting them to church and things. And, and just, man, I get there and Adam and Blaine get up from the table and just, Oh, how are you, man? I miss you. And it's just like, "Mm, love you. Kindly affectionate. To one another that's okay don't get all weirded out by that all right what okay <laughs> okay watch out for anthony by the way he'll get you oh yeah <laughs> all right but romans twelve ten goes on to say in that affection don't let it just be hugs but in honor give preference to one another How beautiful that Christianity says seek other people's well-being. Give preference to them. Have you ever said to these other people in your life, I prefer you. I prefer you. Man, you have the best seat at the table or in the living room. You have the front seat in the car. You listen and pick the music station. You pick the TV show. I prefer you. You have that last delicious chicken wing on the table. You know what? You. All right, I'm humble minded and I'm esteeming you as better than myself. That's what love does. The love chapter will be there in a few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that love does not seek its own, it's not what love does. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. That's the reservations of the weak, the people that have weak consciences, and not to please ourselves. Verses two and three go on. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So this wonderful principle of being aware of the weaknesses and reservations of the Christians around us and being sensitive to that, not being selfish and pleasing ourselves. And then he goes on to show how Jesus did that. We're going to get there at the end of our study Uh, today. Another main point you might touch on, it's not one of our questions, but something that the text gives us as an outline beginning in verse 25, is that we are not to tie ourselves up in unnecessary knots concerning freedoms and worrying about other people's scruples. All right, Uh, verse 25 says, hey, eat is whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, all right? So a person that is just constantly scrupulous and has reservations about everything, they're just worried about what if this was you know, offered to idols, Paul says, don't worry about it, it's just meat, all right? It's just meat, so go ahead and eat it. It's the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, all of its fullness. This is quoted twice in this chapter. It's from Psalm 24, I believe, and it's a text that the Jews use, to bless their food before they would eat. But there are people who are just, man, they get tied up in knots about their reservations that they have about their liberties. And as the comedian Brian Regan says, if I were to second guess my decision to book time at a Native American community, that would be a reservation, reservation, reservation. (laughs) Nothing? Okay. You'll think about it later. Write it down. Some of the readers that Paul wrote to had reservations about everything they ate. They were clearly over scrupulous. And Paul says, man, it's simple. The meat itself doesn't belong to an idol. It's not infected by demons and it can be eaten. What's a problem is when you go into the atmosphere of fellowship with demons at the pagan temple, that's to be avoided, not the food itself. Don't make up a whole bunch of rules, though, and tie yourself up in knots because those rules don't produce a holy life. They will just produce bondage. And we see that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, where it says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is though living in the world? Do you subject yourself to regulations? And here's some of these rules. Maybe it's maybe here today, just the Lord would be speaking to you. Why do you have these rules? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of God. That's not what it says. According to the commandments and doctrines of men. These are man-made rules. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. There is nothing good about just putting a bunch of rules upon yourself. Good to have a sensitive conscience, that's okay. But don't place a a law upon yourself that you're not able to bear, nor the people around you. Remember what Paul's life was before he became a Christian? He was a what? A Pharisee. He was a rule keeper. That was his job. Not the funnest guy to hang out with. He's probably writing here saying, have you ever hung out with a Pharisee? You can't laugh around them. You can't whistle around them. They're always hushing you, telling you to stop, constrained by rules. And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-5, through and this is in the context of the final apostasy and the falling away from the Lord in the end of times, it says that people will be forbidding others to marry And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So are there foods and even are there drinks that are to be received with thanksgiving if you know the truth? Is it possible to partake of wine or beer or meat or whatever it might be in a way that gives glory to God and is received with thanksgiving? It's true. Verse 4 says, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. What a great reason to bless the food at the beginning. It's not so much blessing the food, it's setting it apart, sanctifying, thanking the Lord for it. A concept we'll see in 1 Corinthians 10 as we move on. But as David Guzik says, the cow belonged to the Lord when it was on the hoof, and it belongs to the Lord now that it's on the barbecue. All right? It's the Lord's all right, so use it as worship to the Lord. Don't tie yourself up in knots over worrying about where it came from. Another main point here before we get more into guidelines is that the main point that we see for a few verses of being considerate of the other people's conscience, okay? Which leads into our fourth question. Am I sensitive to the consciences of those around me who will hear of me doing this? or see it on social media, am I thinking about others and their consciences? We read the word conscience in this section five times. Did you notice it? Conscience, 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 conscience. He says, when you go to buy the meat, don't even ask if it was offered for conscience sake. Not so much your own, but the guy that's selling it to you. What is this conscience? Vine's Dictionary says it's the process of thought that distinguishes what it considers morally good or bad. It commends the good and condemns the bad. So it prompts us towards good and avoiding the bad. Or the New Bible Dictionary says, Conscience is the faculty by which a man or woman apprehends the moral demands of God and which cause him pain when he falls short of those demands. All right, So conscience is very significant in the New Testament. A man can actually be brought to the Lord through his conscience. You see that in Romans chapter 2, that some pagan guy that lived off over in some tribe and was part of a, a cultic group could actually have the law of God written on his heart and his conscience convicts him of his idolatry and he can turn to the Lord through the conscience. All right, So conscience is something we need to be sensitive to in the people around us. If you have the heart of the the licensed individual who says, you know what, I'm free to eat whatever I want, drink whatever I want, and do whatever I want, whenever I want, I don't care about you, honey, I don't care about my wife, I don't care about the kids, the church, the pastors, the community around me, nothing. Guess what? That's not freedom. All right? That's not freedom. That's not true Christian freedom. True Christian freedom is willing to set aside freedom for the conscience of others, and you know what? The secular man out there in the world doesn't know that kind of freedom. It's something that's put in us by the Holy Spirit of God. Let's continue. Verse 27. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. All right? Jesus gives us the same uh, precepts as he sends the disciples out. In Luke chapter 10, when you go to a house, eat and drink whatever they give you. Whatever's set before you, eat the things that are placed before you, all right? Don't ask questions about, hey, who cooked this, and where was this meat purchased, and things like that, and and you can apply that to whatever liberty you might have in mind today. But if anyone says to you in verse 28, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So the repeated psalm there. What we have here is the doctrine of the sovereign rule of God. All right. God is the Lord over this. It was God who created this. And if it's received with thanksgiving, it can be partaken of in a way that brings glory to him. But if it comes up in the conversation in a way that would affect the conscience of the people around, uh, then just don't partake. All right. It might be the same with if you're if you're out to dinner and you want to have a bottle of wine with your wife and your friends are there with you. You can ask your friends. Would it stumble you if we had a glass of wine? And man, I am just I have struggled with alcoholism for years. This is just I can't I don't drink it. And you know, you go ahead. Then it'd be good as the other individual to say, you know what? No, it's okay. We don't. Our freedom says we don't have to drink wine tonight. Let's have a soda pop, you know, or a glass of water. Stay well hydrated. That's also good. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is, is, is huge for the, the chapters of liberty and these guidelines and principles. Verse uh, 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us that not everyone has knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now they eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat are we better nor if we do not eat are we the worse? And he goes on in verse 10 there of 1 Corinthians 8. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And so being aware of the scruples around you, being aware of the reservations around you, being aware of the individuals who are around you, and whether or not they have the liberty and the freedom, if the Lord hasn't allowed them to do that and they have a weak conscience, as the scriptures say, man, be sensitive. We have the freedom and you have the freedom to not partake or to partake. It's interesting that John Piper, who's a teetotaler and doesn't, that's, doesn't partake of wine or, or beer, if he goes over to somebody's house and they offer to him, he'll partake. He has the freedom to partake as well for the sake of the love and for the sake of the ministry there. We'll talk about that In a little bit, but in all of our liberties, eating meat versus being a vegetarian or a vegan, consuming wine and beer versus teetotaling, watching movies that may have questionable rating versus staying at home and reading the boxcar children series, celebrating Halloween versus staying at home or going to the harvest carnival, all of these things, we need to be sensitive to those around us and their conscience. Verse 29, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Now, if we didn't know the context of the scripture, you might just underline the last part of that verse and be like, yeah, I can do whatever I want, right? Wouldn't you read it that way? Hey, why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? They need to just simmer down, right? No, the context tells us there's a reason why our liberty is judged by another man's conscience, all right? It's because of love. It's because of love that we would... Esteem that person's conscience and his edification and his progress with the Lord better than our own. Our liberty is always within the limit of love. Verse 30 tells us, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food which I give thanks? Here's our fifth um, principle here concerning your liberties. You can enjoy your liberty with a thankful heart. Partake with thanks. But when and where you're partaking of, are you sensitive to if it will actually be spoken evil of, thus negating the beautiful freedom that it's designed to be. You think of it as a freedom, but the brother with the weak conscience may actually use it as something and an occasion to speak evil concerning you. That is a result that condemns freedom And negates or causes what is a great gift of God to be the butt end of condemnation. And we need to be on guard about that kind of danger with our liberties. We can actually ruin our freedom by making the wrong use of it. Lindsay and I were looking forward to a movie coming out, and hadn't, you know, have you ever done that where you're like, yeah, cool, as this actor, this actor? It's probably PG. (laughs) That's all that guy's ever in, right? (laughs) You know, nobody here. Blank stares. Come on, people. All right? You're like, one movie. (laughs) And so we're like, oh, date night. We're going to go see this. Check it out. It's at the Pine Theater. Sweet, you know. Oh, it's rated R. Oh, shoot. I don't really go watch rated R movies. Let's see what it's rated R for, you know. And we're reading, and it's like, ah, yeah. Man, like that's something that we could probably go see, like our conscience. Like that's, you know, it wasn't like nudity or it's like, yeah, it's just one too many or, ah, you know. And then we just got thinking, man, what about the other people in our community? You know, what about the people that might see us coming out of that movie? And it was like, whoa, did you just see what I see? Yeah, you know. You know, oh, man, we wouldn't want to stumble them. So we went to the other theater and watched something twice as bad that night. It was horrible. No, I'm kidding. It was great. Totally clean and pure. Jesus would have been proud, I'm sure. In verse 31... Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So our sixth principle here, are you practicing your liberty to and for the glory of God? That is key. You might triple star that one. It's super important, though it's number six here because of it's in verse 31. All right. Is it glorifying God? Now, this is also in the imperative tense. It's a command towards us. That whatever we do, we're to do it for the glory of God. Now, if we're sinning, we're not glorifying God. Is what you're doing glorifying God? If the Holy Spirit has shown you that in this liberty, it's wrong for you to do. You do not have this liberty. You're not glorifying God. You're not bringing him splendor and brightness and declaring his amazing might. You're not honoring him. As Peter tells us in chapter 4 verse 11 of 1 Peter, in all things, We're to glorify God through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Our doing of this freedom ought to always be limited to what most tends to the glory of God. Does it glorify God? I read a a paragraph from Charles Hodge. I'm going to cut it short, but it says, Men of the world have themselves for the end of their actions, Philosophers tell us to make the good of others the end and thus destroy the sentiment of religion, merging it into philanthropy or benevolence. The Bible tells us to make the glory of God the end. This secures the other ends by making them subordinate, while at the same time it exalts the soul by placing before it an infinite personal object. Now there are people out there that are quote unquote good people that are going to hell and their end is philanthropy or saving the environment or whatnot, but it never has at its heart the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's worthless and it's futile. We friends have at our end, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Verse 32 giving no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. This gives us the seventh principle. Are you blameless in your liberty? It's a command that's given to us. Are you blameless to everyone who's around you? Be blameless, I should say, in the form of a command. Be blameless to everyone around you. If in your liberty it appears that you are getting drunk or you are getting high, if in your liberty it appears that this is causing you to backslide in other areas of your life, there's not a blamelessness there about you. There's not a glorifying to God that's taken place. Our love of God and our love for men should govern all of our conduct, whether it's to the Jew or to the Greek or to the third nation here, the church of God. We're not to cause a stumbling block or an occasion for people to blaspheme God because of us. Verse 33, just as I also pleased all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Our final point here, are you missional in the use of your liberty? Are you missional? As you're using this liberty, are you out and about and trying to lead people to Jesus? All right, this might sound crazy, but it's possible to hang out at the Horseshoe Tavern and on mission. You're a missionary there. You're not there to get drunk. You're not there to, uh, you know, to just live up the life and party. You're there with an intent to see people and draw them to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? It's a possible thing. For some, it's not possible. The Lord wouldn't allow that. The conscience wouldn't allow it. But for others, it is possible. Are you missional in the use of your Liberty. What an example Paul is here. He was pleasing all men in every area of liberty or custom. All right? I want to applause Paul in that. Applaud, pause. Applause Paul. In every area, he would please men unless men were trying to put rules on him for self-righteous purposes. And then he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, we're not going to circumcise Titus because you guys are trying to say that he can't be saved unless he's circumcised. You're being legalistic. And the end of that type of mindset is death, so we're not circumcising Titus. He didn't care about pleasing the legalist. He cared about pleasing the people with the weak consciences, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. That was Paul's heart. He was concerned with salvation that they might be saved. And we see that in chapter nine verse 24, or excuse me, uh, verses 19 through 23. For the gospel's sake, he was all things to all men. As Guzik says, more often than we think, low conduct in Christian living is connected to little regard for the lost. Friday night, hangout night, do you have any thought for the lost around you? Now, as much as I applause Paul, and as great as Paul was, in verse one of chapter 11, he points to the better example. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So we applause Paul, but the greater applause, the greater hurrah goes to the Lord Jesus. And you can put a triple star next to verse one. Because it was Jesus who pleased all men in every area of liberty or custom. He wasn't seeking his own profit, but the profit of many. When he is God and he deserves to be served, it says in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to put others first, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus in his freedom set aside his freedom for the benefit of all, that they might be saved, that they might be helped, that they might be edified. And he's the example. Do you remember clear back in Romans chapter 15, verses one through three, how it says we who are strong don't really have weak conscience on things. Hey, we're to bear with the people around us that have scruples and reservations about things and not to please ourselves. And it goes on to say, for Christ did not please himself, but did what? He bore the reproaches of everybody else. He's the example. Even Philippians 2, that key passage, says, esteem others as better than yourselves. Don't be selfish. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You guys, he is the example. And so as we come today, and the worship team can come on up, as we come to the communion table, and you take the cup of the juice, and you take the bread, And you're to remember Jesus and his life and his death. You're to remember his body that was broken and his body that was bruised and crushed. For your sins that you might be saved. And you remember the the juice reminds you of the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. That you might be forgiven and washed as clean. As you remember those things, let's come to the communion table with our Christian liberties in mind. Lord Jesus, you set aside your rights and your freedom to come among men and to help them and to preserve them and to save them and to glorify God. You're the example, Lord. And even myself, as I studied this this week, was just convicted on ways that I've been selfish in some freedoms, ways that I've been looking out for myself and not for the other people around me. And I just had to get on my knees and just say, Lord, forgive me for that. Maybe you need to do the same thing. Being aware of the others around you. Maybe your freedom has just diverted away from any sort of glorifying of God. It's become an opportunity for your flesh. And it's led you into sin and dark places. We want to take a test today before we come to the communion table. Perhaps you're a legalist here. You make a list of rules about things you can and cannot do and they're things that you find in the Bible and you oppose those on yourself and on other people. And I would say what a great example John Piper was that he could you know, let, set aside his legalism or maybe that side of things for the sake of ministering to others around him. Perhaps you're on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're more the freed man and you're running in all sorts of freedoms, but it's become a disguise for sin. You've gone too far with those things and you need to repent of that. Perhaps even the sin that you've gone into is a lack of care about your brother or sister around you. And there's a big test for our liberties today. Am I prepared to give up things that are clearly allowed because I'm concerned about the benefit and building up